The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to this inaugural edition of Hidden Yardage. I'm Mark Lane and I'm with my co-host Sean Martin. Sean, it's good to be on with you, sir. Hey man, it's great to be here. We just had a great Super Bowl. We just had back-to-back years of a home team winning the Super Bowl in their home stadium. And you know, what a moment for the NFL to have a title in Los Angeles for the LA Rams. You're right. And uh for the Rams, it's their first championship since they won Super Bowl 34. That was with Kurt Warner. And now they get it done with uh, with Matthew Stafford. But really, the story of the game is Cooper Cup and his three touchdown catches, which ties a Super Bowl record, by the way. I mean, now he's etched in there with guys like Jerry Rice. Uh, just the way that the Rams were able to gut it out and come back and weather the storm in the second half when you had a 10-point swing or 10 points unanswered by the Cincinnati Bengals in the first four minutes. Uh, and then Shelby Awuzie, of course, former Cowboy, gets that interception. Um, it was, it, it, it kind of was like the Rams season. They just found a way to win with that superstar team. Yeah, so this is what it feels like to be able to get the ball to a number one wide receiver and to have an offensive play caller and Sean McVay who, when he went to his first Super Bowl, he was the youngest head coach to go to a Super Bowl. And now he broke that record again, being the first, the youngest to win it and getting it done this time. And after three straight three and outs, the Rams finally put the drive they needed together, but getting the ball to Cooper Cup and him learning from that past experience of getting completely shut down by a Bill Belichick defense in the first Super Bowl when the Rams lost to the Patriots. Well, now Sean McVay found a way to adjust, win this game without Odo Beckham Jr. on the field. He was having a great first half, and Cooper Cup made the play when it mattered. You know, that fade almost, and Cooper Cup's not this type of player, but that fade pass almost reminded me of, like, Tony Romo to Des Bryant type of connection as far as just being a lock for a touchdown. You see that ball in the air, and you're like, that's going to be a touchdown no matter who's guarding it, who's going up to catch it. And Stafford had that confidence. That's why you ran a QB sneak the play before because you knew – you just could try to get a little bit closer to throw an almost guaranteed touchdown pass to your MVP, Cooper Cup. Let me ask you this. Do you think that the, that uh, that game-winning drive by the 
Rams was aided at all by the refs. You think the refs are going to play a part in the narrative? It felt that way. I, I was telling some friends in the group chat that we were talking to throughout the game. I hate being that guy, you know, saying like, oh, the NFL has, you know, an end for it. But doesn't it feel a little, at least a little bit set up? You know, it's Los Angeles and, you know, the Bengals are kind of a small market, but kind of not at the same time because like America fell in love with them. But even still, like, you know, you give staff with that many chances down there with the goal line. It definitely felt a little, uh, I guess, strange is the right way to put it. But Hey, the Bengals, to their credit, they didn't break and you know just give up a wide open touchdown. They uh, they really dug in and tried to make it hard. Just Cooper Cup is that good? Yeah, I really it was a penalty free game up to that point, uh, so it really didn't feel like a Sean Hockley, Tony Corinthi flag fest. Um, so really, you felt like there probably was reason to throw those flags. At those at that particular juncture, also the Rams, they had a holding call uh, on that game-winning touchdown that was uh, nullified by offsetting penalties. The Rams actually uh, were dinged for some penalties on that game-winning drive. So you know, it I felt like the officiating was pretty fair in this contest. Yeah, they let these guys play absolutely, and you know the Bengals long touchdown there to start the third quarter after. An incredible halftime show was going to be talked about as a potential officiating error with Jalen Ramsey getting thrown down by the face mask. But even still, yeah, this this crew let them play. It's what the NFL kind of needed after they faced a bunch of criticism throughout the end of the regular season and into the postseason for the way things have been over-officiated. So it was a good, clean game uh, up until that point. And if you want to hear more about uh, bad officiating in the Super Bowl. We'll be talking more about that later when we get the Cowboys' birthdays because there is uh, a former Cowboy who was involved in one of the most egregious <laughs> officiating moves in Super Bowl history. We'll be getting on to that later. There's a professional in, in, tease right there in our first show. We are out of the gates running, my friend. Yeah, yeah. Hey, where can folks find you on Twitter, by the way? Hey, so I make it nice and simple. I hope it's Sean Martin NFL, and you can find me there. You'll see uh, AT&T Stadium in my backdrop to my profile picture and hit me up there. You can tell me why uh, New Jersey is a dumb state to live in, even though I don't live there anymore, and uh, talk football and have a good time. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at the real Mark Lane, and you'll know it's me, uh, not because of the blue check mark, but because who else would be wearing a sport coat and a banded collar shirt on Tatooine with, with the setting sun from Tatooine in the background. They made me get that for work uh, back at a uh, job I had at a TV station in 2018. They said, all right, we want people to take a picture, um, you know, for the, the board or for your profile picture on the company login or something like that. So I took it in front of the green screen out in the studio where the weatherman reports and I took it in front of the green screen for that reason. So I could put whatever I want in the background and that's what I did. But, uh, you know, Sean, here we are. It's a Cowboys show on the blog and the boys podcast network. And we're talking about the Rams and the Bengals. That's our first topic on this inaugural show. And it just, 
it raises the question that's in the minds of Cowboys fans, whether they're optimistic or whether they're negative, is just what what's with these Cowboys? What do the Rams have that the Cowboys have? Like, what do they have in common? And I think that that's what fans are going to be taking a look at in the weeks hereafter. Um, and then, of course, they'll get lost in the draft prep. But when people take a look at the composition of the team right now versus the Rams, fans are going to wonder, what do the Rams have that the Cowboys don't? I mean, what do the Rams have that the Cowboys also have that's a blueprint for Super Bowl success? So I can already tell one of the headaches of the offseason is going to be everybody kind of pointing fingers at the Rams saying, see the all-in approach works. They went all-in and it works. Every team needs to do this. If your team's not doing this, they don't care about winning. But isn't the reason we love the NFL because of the parity and how close these games are and the competitiveness? I mean, did all-in really work? Yeah, they won the Super Bowl in their stadium. It's awesome. Congrats to them. But, you know, does all-in get you a three-point come-from-behind win against a Bengals team that nobody had here? That's all it guarantees you? Because if that's, you know, what we have to show for it, then I don't think it's a foolproof plan to uh, go out and do what they did and know that you're just going to walk into the Super Bowl. And certainly the Cowboys are a long way from taking that type of team building approach as well. But like I said in the open, you know, it sure is nice to see a team in the big moments in the biggest game possible, be able to get the ball to their number one receiver and a guy like Cooper Cup. And I was also blown away by, you know, when Odell Beckham was in the game, you know, the ability to get the ball to these guys on the run. When's the last time we saw, you know, C.D. Lamb get hit in stride, Amari Cooper in stride, Michael Gallup in stride. This feels like, you know, that's not a part of the Cowboys offense that so really slipped away from them. And it's a shame because that's what you feel like these receivers are best at. You feel like you have a quarterback that, you know, should be able to make those types of throws, certainly. But for whatever reason, you don't get these guys coming down the field uh, as well as the Rams were able to do. They did have their struggles the same way the Cowboys did trying to run the ball against a soft Bengals front. Cincinnati really got known for that trademark play deep coverage and make teams beat you down the field all postseason. And the Chiefs had their struggles with it um, in the AFC championship game. And the Rams tried to run at them with that. They weren't able to do so, but they counteracted that by uh, getting some big plays down the field in the pass game. Yeah. And you mentioned the passing game. And I feel like that's where actually Dallas and the Rams have a commonality and it, it does dovetail into that all in approach that the Rams have. Cause in the off season, the Rams went all in and sent Jared Goff and first round draft picks to the Detroit lions to basically bail Matthew Stafford out and bring him to Los Angeles they solved their franchise quarterback issue. And Dallas has been fortunate enough really since 2016. And you could go back to, heck, um, 2007, really, when you think of Romo. But really in the Dak era, they've solved franchise quarterback. They don't have to wonder if that's what's holding them back. They don't have to devote resources to it when off-season workouts kick off in April. 
you're not going to split snaps between a couple of quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. You know who he is. You know who gets the first team reps, and it's Dak Prescott. And uh, the Rams, they solved that. And the Cowboys, they've solved it as well by having Prescott in the building. And I think that that's one area where they they do have one of the building blocks to win a Super Bowl. They've figured quarterback out. And I think you better find out quickly here going into this next season for the Cowboys if you have a coach that can adjust the way Sean McVay did. I mean, I couldn't be more impressed with the way that his offense is getting held down and instead of getting frustrated or even having it get, get held down you know, until the end of the game like he did in his first Super Bowl, he found a way to continue to adjust and call the right plays when it mattered and get the ball to Cooper Cup. You know, you better find out if you're the Cowboys here, not after next season, like Jerry Jones had to go on the radio this offseason and say he's tired of addressing these things only in the offseason. You better find out if Kellen Moore can be that guy to make those quick adjustments and make a game plan that works in game when your number one guy is being taken out. Um, and if not, you know, is the option then to go to a more go to a more experienced guy like Mike McCarthy? Is it to bring in more outside voices? But you know, we all thought the Cowboys were doing the right thing with Kellen Moore when it comes to following the trend of these young, bright offensive minds. And now Saul McVay gets to tote around the uh, Lombardi Trophy all offseason, and the Cowboys are stuck with not knowing if Moore is really quite that guy yet. And really the the trend with the young coaches, that was young coaches from the Mike Shanahan coaching tree. It wasn't just young coaches, but, you know, the Cowboys, they made the gamble that, oh, well, it's just young coaches. So <laughs> they did that, and, and now they've got Kellen Moore. But uh, you you look at – Kellen Moore, and that's one area where uh, adjusting, it seemed like Dallas wasn't able to do that down the stretch um, during, you know, after Prescott really kind of hurt his calf and the the Rams with McVay, they were able to, to make the adjustments in the Super Bowl. Uh, you mentioned the, you mentioned Cooper Cup and how they got the ball to cup. Do you think that the receiving core, just, you know, on paper, you think that the receiving core of the Cowboys is another area where they're similar to the Rams? And here's what I mean by that is in terms of the personnel you can rely on. When they go into offseason workouts in April, the Rams, they're going to have Cooper Cup. They're going to have Van Jefferson. Uh, They're going to get Michael Woods back. They're uh, probably going to have Odell Beckham. With the Cowboys, you've got, albeit Michael Cooper, Michael Cooper, thinking of the Lakers here, Michael Gallup's going to be out of contract. Amari Cooper's still under contract. You also have C.D. Lamb. So you've got some familiarity there with the receiving core, do you think that Dallas has as intact of a receiving core as the Rams? Let me just pause for a second. Are you a Lakers fan in Arkansas? No. Okay. Not at all. Now, as Matt, sure. 
No, but I want to talk about that for a moment to clarify for people. One of the reasons why you see a crossover of Cowboys, Lakers, and Yankees fans, which is the total uh, triple crown of bandwagon. I have have, have two of those for you, I hate to admit. Yeah, well, this is how it happens is it's the Cowboys are were always on television, whether it was the Monday night games, whether it was the playoffs. So nationally, nationally televised games, it's the Cowboys and then nationally televised games in the 80s. Who was in the NBA finals for except maybe two times in the 80s it, when it was the Rockets? It was the Lakers the whole time. Uh, then you've got the Yankees. And they had a radio network that expand, not really a radio network, but kind of like a border blaster uh, radio signal that went all the way into Texas. So that's how the the triple crown of bandwagoning was formed. <laughs> so, but no, not a Lakers fan. Uh, just just to clarify. Understood. Uh, I do think this Cowboys receiving core, you know, absolutely could be what the Rams had. I mean, there were points in this game, though, where the Rams, and you take Beckham off the field, and now it's like, okay, you know, can any of these guys step up? And now you're looking more like the Cowboys receivers at at a point in the season where they weren't any good, you know, at a point where it's like, oh, man, why can't we get the ball to Amari Cooper? Why can't we get the ball to CDOM? Why can't, you know, Cedric Wilson be more consistent as, you know, kind of a guy that Dak is looking to – you know, throughout the down and not just as like a last ditch, fourth down, you know, acrobatic catch type of guy. Where's the consistency and the playmaking ability from all these guys? The Rams didn't have that for some really long stretches in this game, but they made the big plays when it counted. And, you know, the Cowboys absolutely did not. Just when you're looking at, you know, just the most recent loss in that wild card game to the 49ers, that was not a good secondary that you went against in San Francisco. I mean, just point blank. You had the matchups there, and you couldn't run, you know, the right offense, the right routes to uh, to really take advantage of it. And you had some breakdowns on the offensive line, much like the Rams did tonight against the Bengals. But you know, Matt Stafford overcame it. He's playing the best football of his career. He's completely taken another step up with the talent around him in Los Angeles, and you know, that's a big credit to him. And he's going to have that receiving core in place, like I said, when they get ready for the, the title defense and will the Cowboys uh, have, um, you know, the same, I feel like if they have Cooper and lamb going into 2022 for the division title defense, then they'll be in pretty good. And it always seems like Dak invents a receiver anyway. Uh, Cedric Wilson was kind of that Malik Turner this year was kind of that guy. I mean, even in, you know, in some aspects, Vintel Bryant with a little stint that he had in 2019 was someone that, that Des just kind of invented. I mean, this team seems pretty intent on putting as much as po- as possible around Dak Prescott to make sure he's going to succeed or, you know, in the alternate reality or in the worst case scenario, basically get to the point where it's like, okay, you're taking up too much of our cap space and we've given you some other big name players and you're not getting it done. So now it's going to be time to move on. But this team seems pretty determined to keep adding around Dak Prescott. I hope that's the truth because, you know, like you said, he can invent some guys all he wants. You can get these other names in there, but 
look at who just won the Super Bowl. It was Odell Beckham, Cooper Cup. Those are some big names. And I know Beckham wasn't out there for a while, but there was still some impact plays to help the team win the game. And a team that went, you know, all in is the phrase we're going to be using all offseason, ultimately got it done. So I do have the confidence in Dak Prescott, full confidence that he can manage if he only gets one of, let's say, Cooper or Gallup back or Gallup and Wilson, however they want to manage this. But at the same time, I'm way more interested in knowing that we went into this season thinking the Cowboys receivers were going to be some of the best in the league. It didn't work out, but you're still going to have some of those names. Go add more guys and make sure that's the truth. You know, my friend Brian Broaddus always says uh, his team-building philosophy, and it's something that's really stuck with me when learning about the draft and things like that and how all these teams come together. One of his philosophies that I really like to hear him discuss is when you think you have a position group that's capable of winning you a game, go get another star out there. Go get one more because the Cowboys have been stuck for a while kind of just trying to add pieces here and there to have like a well-rounded roster and things like that. And, you know, we appreciate that. We know what their team needs are and they're addressing them and all that. And that's great, but go get, you know, the guy that can put you over the top of one position group. So if you think, and we all did going into a 17 game season that CD and Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup can win you games, but they didn't win you, you know, the game that mattered, go get another guy that can actually get this thing done for you. And in some measure, that's what C.D. Lamb was in 2020 because everybody couldn't believe that C.D. Lamb fell to Dallas where he did in the 2020 draft. And they did. I mean, they had Gallup. They had Amari Cooper. So what did they need another receiver for? And they took C.D. Lamb. And you're right. It does take that. By the way, I, I said Michael Woods earlier. I meant Robert Woods. That. That's who I meant for the Rams. So I, I goofed that up. But um, it, the same philosophy, though, the broadest philosophy of get one more, um, that you saw also in the 2021 draft with Micah Parsons. And I know that this may sound odd to say, but I think that Dallas, like the Rams with Aaron Donald, has a dominant defensive player in Michael Parsons. And that's another commonality. I see a building block between the Cowboys and the Rams, and they use the broadest philosophy to get him because they had Jalen Smith and Leighton Vander Esch. Uh, so why add another top 100 pick linebacker? And they did it. And now they had an embarrassment of riches at the linebacking position. And now they've got their dominant defensive player on defense. I mean, their dominant defensive player in Micah Parsons. Well, credit to them. They saw the pass rush ability in Parsons as well. And, you know, that, that's a need for every team. It's one of those things you can't have enough of. You want guys that can get after the quarterback. And you hear all the time from quarterbacks themselves that the worst pressure they face is when it's coming from the interior and defensive tackles. And that's what makes Aaron Donald so valuable and what's made him one of the best defenders, if not just one of the best all-around players in the NFL is that he gets to line up against guards and centers that just aren't prepared, even the best in the league, to handle that type of power and that type of pass rush ability. And he just dominates the game and takes over a game. And he made the game-ending play in the Super Bowl. So Mika Parsons is kind of that type of player when it comes to interior pressure and an all-around ability as well. And there's a lot of Cowboys fans that would love to add an actual defensive tackle that can rush the passer and 
get him in here, especially if you're not going to have one of Randy Gregory or Demarcus Lawrence out there. So no matter how you slice it, both linebacker and pass rush is a need. You know, we just talked a minute ago about receiver potentially still being a need, and it feels like we're taking a bunch of steps backwards from positions where this team wasn't in not too long ago. And the receiver was supposed to be a wealth of talent once you drafted C.D. Lamb, and now that might not be the case going the next season. Defensive end slash pass rush, you felt better about you felt much better about what you did once you added Parsons, but now it can't just be Mika Parsons by himself. And a guy like Aaron Donald had that help. He had Von Miller. They have a lot of athletic linebackers on the field that really made uh, life hard for Joe Burrow in the checkdown game and things like that. And that's why they were able to get pressure on a quarterback that they knew they could affect and uh, make plays on to end this game. That's one fear that I have about uh, Mika Parsons. <laughs> You you say me not Micah, you say Mika? Like Mika Brzezinski? I feel like I probably change it up every time. Like it's one of those things like do you hold a microphone in your left or right hand and nobody knows? Like you could probably catch me saying it both ways at this point. I I, I don't care. I I'm not the corrector here, but I, I just found that that interesting. Um is that is is that from the Jersey accent? It might be. Uh, like I said to you earlier, you know, there's some people that pick up on the accent down here, so <laughs> no, no, it's cool, Sean. It's cool. Um, but with here's my concern with Michael Parsons is they're going to Romo him. <laughs> they're just gonna say, you know but what? Dan Quinn, so Dan Quinn, Mark, he can, you know, he can turn and he, he, he turned Jaron Coase into a great player. He can make he can make this work with whatever you give him. That might be true, actually. I hope it is. As long as you have Dan Quinn, that might actually be true. But my concern is they're going to say, well, you know, Michael Parsons, he's so well, he can do everything at a rush passer. He can do this and that. We can afford to go cheap and not add any dominant edge rushers or provide any interior help because Micah Parsons is just going to save the day. I mentioned this on one of our Tuesday roundtable shows, and you can, uh, you can go back and take a look at that. And I've started on some of my draft work. I'm not as far – into this class is I'd like to be yet, but we're getting there as far as starting to watch some of these prospects. And I've watched a couple of linebackers that a lot of Cowboys fans are talking about. Devin White out of Utah, his report is up on our site. And we got some other other linebackers coming. And I really dislike the fact that I have to watch all these linebackers kind of with like the Mika Parsons comparison in the back of my head. Because in my head, I'm picturing a world without Demarcus Lawrence, possibly without Demarcus Lawrence and Randy Gregory. And now I'm like, okay, Mika, you're a full-time defensive end. You you don't even get to be a linebacker ever anymore. We need you rushing the passer all the time. So now we need to draft another Mika Parsons that does all of the linebacker things that you're also really good at. So that's kind of the lens that I'm watching some of these linebacker prospects from. And you know, it makes it difficult to uh, just evaluate the best players. And you want to draft just cleanly the best players you can as opposed to having to pigeonhole your guys to uh, you know, to fit a certain need that you created. That's not how this team usually operates, but they would definitely have a need at linebacker with or without the way they plan on using persons as both a pass rusher and a linebacker next season. Yeah, they need to find a way that you can just have Parsons be a utility player. Uh, we can eat him in coverage, put him there because linebacker's fine. There's adequate pass rush. Uh, he, he's best when he's in that kind of utility role. 
by the way, you mentioned that the roundtables, you, you can catch the BTV roundtable on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time uh, on the various Blogging the Boys uh, channels, the YouTube channel. You can find out more at bloggingtheboys.com. And Tuesdays is also when the 750 with Tony Casillas and RJ Ochoa comes out. So, oh, that's what's on Tuesdays on the Blog and the Boys Network. Now, with the the Cowboys defense, another area where I feel like they've got a commonality with the Rams defense is, and I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, is, you know, I think they have a dominant cornerback in Trayvon Diggs. I'm with you. Just as the Rams have one in Jalen Ramsey. I'm with you on that, man. Yeah, I you know, we all like what Trayvon Diggs did. It was a such a weird season having to debate his like merit all year on just so many fans coming through Diggs saying he's horrible in coverage, bringing up stats that we never even have to talk about with all these other corners. I mean, I was seeing stuff that like I've never heard of just to try to discredit Trayvon Diggs' game. I'm like, when's the last time we talked about this metric for any other corner? Why are we just doing this to Diggs who is creating all these turnovers and these interceptions and things like that, of course, that we haven't seen in Dallas from that position for so long. So, yeah, Trayvon Diggs is a guy that, you know, the Cowboys have to build the secondary around. Like you said, Parsons might get that type of treatment where they don't give him a lot of help in the front seven, and, you know, you hope the same doesn't happen to Diggs because they have some free agent decisions to make it cornerback as well. Yeah, and one thing that I liked that the Rams did was they lined up Ramsey wherever they thought the best uh, corner cornerback was going to be for, I mean, not cornerback, but where they thought the play was going to go for the, for the Rams. Uh, they just, they lined him up. So if they thought the ball was going to go to T Higgins, they put him on T Higgins. I, I like the way they moved around Ramsey. And I know that Diggs best quality is, coming up with interceptions but I think what people were a little frustrated with was he didn't really have that same kind of lockdown uh you know a- approach which to me is funny because when there was a guy named Terrence Newman on the team well the thing was oh well he's bad because he doesn't get enough interceptions so I I I don't know where to go anymore, but if 21 pass deflections isn't enough, then, you know, I, I don't know what to tell people. To your point there, that's a great job by the Rams scouting department and, you know, and the coaching staff there to figure out those Bengals tendencies. And that's where for the Bengals, you know, a little bit of inexperience in this big moment from the coaching staff kind of hurt you. I mean, I'm still scratching my head on that fourth down. You line up in the five wide shotgun spread and you don't have a quick pass option. I mean, you could have thrown that same little swing pass to Jamar Chase right there and probably picked up that yard. You could have run a QB draw again, potentially take advantage of the fact that, you know, Aaron Donald is going to get up the field on one of your guards. So you know, just a little bit of inexperience in the big moment there and a lot of experience for the Rams with their backs against the wall, knowing that this was their chance to get it done. And they did just that. And now the Rams, they're Super Bowl champions. And the Cowboys, uh, I guess we're going on 26 years. That we are. 
that they've not played in a Super Bowl, let alone a conference championship game. And everybody made the rounds this week, or I should say the, um, this past week, the week prior uh, at Radio Row for the Super Bowl. And Emmett Smith goes on with Sports Illustrated right now. And I found these this particular quote interesting via John Mashota of The Athletic. He transcribed it. He says, well, Emmett says, about the current Cowboys, you are not a star yet. You're not a goat yet. You're not great yet. You have to win a championship to become all of that. Outside of that, you're going to be living in the shadows of what came before you. And to me, what's interesting about that is the, the, this, the 26 years thing happened under the triplets watch though. Okay. 96, 97, 98. Those were three years that the triplets were still together for at least 10 games each season. I mean, at 99, Michael Irvin, he, uh, he injured his neck. He got not, he was out done for the season, retired on October the 10th, 1999 in a 13-10 loss to the Eagles. We understand that, okay? So not really fair to include that, but he still had three seasons with the triplets, and that's when this began. It wasn't like they won a Super Bowl, and then they retired, went off into the sunset, and then in came uh, Drew Henson and Anthony Wright and Troy Hambrick and the Joey Galloway trade. Uh, so a lot of this began under the triplets of the star power going away from the Cowboys. And I, it does feel a little bit like what Jor- Michael Jordan talked about in The Last Dance when he said when he came back from retirement and he saw guys like Steve Kerr, who arrived at the Bulls in the 93-94 season, so the year after they had beaten the Suns in the NBA Finals, but uh, he's walking around with the swagger of someone who has uh, won a world championship when he wasn't a part of those teams. And it does seem like that particular aspect, whatever happened in the late 90s there, of the swagger of having won Super Bowl 30, continues to this day amid the conference championship appearance drought. It's one of the more fascinating conundrums with the Dallas Cowboys. You mentioned the 750 show, which you can hear right here on this network tomorrow with RJ Ochoa as one of the hosts. And he talks all the time about one of the most frustrating things of being a Cowboys fan is that they consistently, at every chance they get, prove all of the national narratives that we work so hard as fans to disprove right, you know, outside noise comes in saying, oh, the Cowboys can't do this. And people that actually follow this team, like me, you, and all of our readers and listeners are like, oh, but actually, you know, and you try to disprove it, but then when it comes down to it, the Cowboys always prove, you know, the outside, the outsider's right. And we're, you know, the true fans here and the former players that still care about this team and the network of, uh, you know, broadcasters and media members that came from the Cowboys pipeline, which is still growing all have to, uh, you know, address it, which they certainly did this offseason. It didn't take very long for not only Emmett Smith, but Troy Aikman and 
all kinds of other former players to go on the record about why the Steers team in particular didn't get it done because you know, you're absolutely, Emmett Smith is absolutely right. You know, you look at this, the results from this year, this team performed great against subpar competition in the NFC East and that was never good enough for those Super Bowl teams. You know, they weren't happy with just beating up on the Giants and the Eagles and the Redskins and, mo- and a lot of those teams are actually pretty good. I mean, you had to go to war with those teams just to win the East. But that wasn't the case for this year's Cowboys team. And you could say maybe that didn't prepare them for the playoffs or things like that. But, you know, who does that fall on? And the head coach, the coordinator, the quarterback, you know, all of those guys are, feel pretty safe about their jobs right now and don't necessarily have the same pressure on them to, uh, to go do what all these former players are asking them to do, which is get back to their winning ways and not go from being able to score 50 against Washington and Philly to barely being able to do anything for three quarters against San Francisco in a wild card game. That was one thing that I thought that they did have from the 90s teams that I thought was going to prove out that they were uh, a dominant team was they didn't play around with their food. You know, the Cowboys in the 90s, they, I think they lost to the Arizona Cardinals, the Phoenix Cardinals in 90. One time in the 90 season, then they didn't lose them again until week two of 1997. Total domination. Uh, in the 98 season, for example, they swept the NFC East. They, and that was, again, when you had the Cardinals. So you're looking at four, eight wins. They go eight and oh in the division. But like the 98 team, which is what I think when we look back, what this team's going to be comparable to, uh, the 98 team, they only won two other games. Outside of the division, they beat the Chicago Bears and I believe they beat the Seattle Seahawks because they were playing the AFC West. Uh, at, but they but they played the, the defending Super Bowl champion Denver Broncos in week two at mile high. They got crushed and Troy Aikman broke his collarbone. Um, they played the Minnesota Vikings on Thanksgiving and they got blown out. And Randy Moss is a legend. So they didn't meet the challenges that they faced. And then they fell flat on their face in the wild card round against the Arizona card, which I would think is a more ignominious loss than losing to Jimmy Garoppolo and the San Francisco 49ers, because the 49ers have playoff experience together. They've been there before. They know what to expect going into a postseason game. Whereas the Cowboys had all of that gravitas going to that 98 wildcard game and the Cardinals didn't have anything. I don't think as a franchise, they had been to the playoffs since Neil Lomax in the 82 Super Bowl tournament, which was a result of the strike year. So that to me was more ignominious, but when you look at the pathway to the playoffs and not be in taking care of business, not playing with your food, but still not measuring up to the best of the conference, the best that the league has to offer. They just, they, they came up short and it's in that particular aspect has plagued them since 1996. That is the thing that the Cowboys have to deal with And it moments. There are moments throughout the season through different seasons 
where they do take care of business. How about uh, like this for the two teams that played last night? You know, no matter who came out on top of this game, the Bengals or the Rams, I don't think it was going to be a good look for the Cowboys in terms of just the way they build their roster. You know, I was taking my notes throughout the game. It was kind of one of those sports writers' nightmare games where it stays super close the whole time and you don't know which story you're going to be writing. So, you know, I'm looking at the very opening drive of the game there, the Rams' first drive. You had three straight plays made by the Bengals defense and, you know, guys that they didn't draft that they went out and got in other ways that the Cowboys just really don't do. You know, Tadobi Awuzie, our old friend, of course we know him, and he had an interception in, in this game as well, but he made a big run stop. You had a Trey Hendrickson sack, who was one of their best pass rushers all year long and one of the best signings of the entire NFL this season. And then B.J. Hill was a former NFC East player. He came over to the Bengals via trade with the Giants, so he made a stop on third down. You know, the Rams conceded and ran the ball on third and long. He came up and made the tackle, though, from the D tackle spot. So, you know, you know a little bit now about the Bengals' approach to building a roster. They had the right mix of guys from draft picks and Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, all that, free agents and trades. And that's what it, take, it took to get it done. And then we all, of course, know about the Rams and this, you know, trademarked all in approach. and how it got them this win, just bailing, like I mentioned in the open. I guess going all in in the NFL, the closest you can get is, you know, a three-point come-from-behind win against the Bengals. But even still, it's they have more playoff wins in that brand-new SoFi Stadium than the Cowboys have in AT&T Stadium. And one of them has been around a whole lot longer. Yeah, you're right about that, Sean. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So let me ask you this. How do you cultivate an edge in Dallas? I think you need coaches and players that feel like their backs are against the wall. You know, desperate teams go out there and get it done. This Rams team was in a way desperate. I mean, not 10 seconds after the game with the confetti still falling down, they're cutting the interviews with Michelle Tafoya and Catherine Tappan and the NBC crew, and you got – Aaron Donald having to address rumors that he might be retiring if the Rams won this game, which of course they did. You have Andrew Whitworth most likely walking away as the oldest player in the league at left tackle. So, you know, not only do they have their own cap nightmares to deal with and free agents and all the things that these super teams end up having to deal with, but they have two of their best players potentially just walking away on top of that. And you add in the injuries and things like that. And, you know, does the Super Bowl make up for that? Well, in the short term, hell yeah, it does. Of course, you know, they're going to show off the fact that they got a ring out of this and the Cowboys don't have any anything to show in the last 26 years. Like you laid out for us. So you got to start by having these coaches feel like they not only have a path towards being developed, but they have a path towards, you know, knowing that their back is up against the wall a little bit. You know, Mike McCarthy, does he need to step over and, start helping out Kellen more, more to work on this offense and to not just tell us in the press conference at the start that 
He's done this before and he knows how to build a Super Bowl team. But go show it, you know, go show your quarterback then because he hasn't had much playoff success yet. And you know you're married to this guy. You know you're tied to Dak Prescott. You had to convince the Joneses that your plan was going to be to work with Dak Prescott if you even wanted this job in the first place. So you, know, you want to go be the first coach to win the Super Bowl of two different teams? Go elevate your quarterback. Go elevate your offensive line. Elevate your receiving core. Do something that you're able to make this team better elevate your coaching staff around you as well. And you know, I think that's how we could be looking at this team, gaining an edge on the field outside of just doing it against teams that we know are a lot better than in the NFC East. And at least we know they were better last year, but you know, who knows what the case is going to be going into next year. So your strategy to cultivating an edge, it sounds like, is to pursue excellence. It sure does, right? It does sound like that. Um, yeah, well, no, I mean, because you, you need, like you need, Jimmy you need Johnson, guys walking example. around this building that feel like, you know, that they might, you know, if they don't get it done, where's the pressure? You know, like Chidobe Awuzie had an interception in the Super Bowl, was on a team that came within three points of just winning this thing, right? And, you know, he came out this week on Radio Row and all that and said, you know, that Dallas was too much about the lights and things like that. And he was really enjoying just kind of focusing on football, you know, in Cincinnati. I'm not really buying too much of that in terms of it being an issue in Dallas. But, you know, I think one of the issues is that you, know, you don't have guys who are fully committed to where if the football side of this thing doesn't work out, you know, that's the livelihood. They're not, you know, former Cowboys got to just walk into broadcasting jobs and coaches get 10 years, at least the last one did, right? You know, coaches get 10 years to try to build a team. Players get to be broadcasters. Players get new contracts based on, not as much performance as the other guys around the league that are getting these big contracts. So those are all things you can point to that are reasons why you don't have that edge. And if it takes that type of edge to win, then you're going to be stuck in, in this pattern for a while with some of these contracts and these coaches that you're tied to. Yeah. It, it almost takes like, really, I hate to say it, new ownership, you know, it almost takes someone to put a little patina on the star. And so it'll lose its luster because mm-hmm. that is what the Jerry Jones and the Jimmy Johnson success was born out of was the Cowboys brand on and off the field it was terrible. It was awful. And that's what it took. Now, I don't I, I, I still think that you can cultivate a way to win. And I think it's like what you talked about is. Uh, just go show it, uh, pursue excellence, realize that you know, this team is always going to be talked about. It's just, it's the way it is. It's a legacy franchise for the NFL. So I, and I think that has been kind of the approach though. They've not achieved it. And with Steven Jones is to get a team that always qualifies for the playoffs and then maybe one year it's going to be your year. But the problem's been they've qualified for the playoffs as though they're the Olympics, like every four years. That's absolutely an issue. I mean, you want to build a team that can consistently be at the top of your division. That's the first goal for every team. We know with the new format in the NFL playoffs, there's only the, the one bye week for the top seed. So to have a shot at that, yeah, you better be able to run your division and you know, like I said, we don't know how much better the NFC East is going to get. You know, we don't know if a team like the Bengals could come out of this division, right? And 
surprise everybody. But you know, for now, I'm sitting here in February, it feels like it's going to be another division where you should have the edge and you know, it might stay that way. The Giants are going to try to get the most out of Daniel Jones again. But if that doesn't work out, then you know, they're going to be looking for a quarterback. Washington's still looking for a quarterback. The Eagles are kind of in the same boat as the Giants in terms of trying to bring Jalen Hurts around, but they might not have the quarterback. So the Cowboys made their decisions to tie themselves to Dak Prescott. And you know, I'm not saying he's the cause of the issue here, but he's the guy that's got to be able to get you consistently in the playoffs. And if you're not putting the team around him when that's happening, then it's definitely time for the higher ups in this team to take a look in the mirror. That goes all the way to the top with you know the guy who signs uh, Prescott's checks, if you ask me. While we're on that subject, uh, let's let's go ahead and get into it. Who do you think is the biggest threat to the Cowboys in the NFC East in 2022? I think it's the Giants. I do like what they're building in terms of having a structure around them now. I have a lot of friends that are Giants fans, and you know, I feel for them and, and get a good laugh at them at times, though, when it comes to some of the decisions they've made these past couple of years. And they always try to defend their franchises like this noble – past franchise of honor and we beat Tom Brady twice in the Super Bowl and you know the Mavericks have these high standards and we're New York and all of that but it really just hasn't been an organization that you know it's had much of a direction or a clue in terms of how to really fill the roster but that's definitely coming along now you got two guys from Buffalo and Joe Soon and Brian Dable who built one of the best rosters that's going toe-to-toe with the Chiefs every year right now in the AFC so there's definitely a sense of direction in in New York. You know, as we know, it doesn't matter much if you don't have the quarterback in place, right? So they're going to hope that Daniel Jones can take the type of leap that Josh Allen made when those pieces were in place in Buffalo. And then defensively, they brought in Wink Martindale from the Ravens to uh, give them a new identity on that side of the ball. They, The Giants defensively have just not put any resources into some really key positions. They don't value a linebacker at all in the draft. The secondary has been weak. A lot of their best edge rushers have come and gone. So they're going to be rebuilding on that side of the ball. And they got the coordinator that I think can kind of give them that Dan Quinn type of turnaround in a short period of time. So defensively, they could be tough on offense. You know, you're dealing with you know a quarterback that has a good staff around him now as well. So I do think the Giants could take a big step up here. By the way, if you want to hear more, about a comprehensive view of the division. Then take a listen to NFC East mixtape with RJ Ochoa and Brandon Lee Gowton that comes out on Wednesdays on the Blog and the Boys podcast network. Also on Wednesdays, we've got Talk in the Draft with Connor Livesay and Mark Schofield, who did those excellent breakdowns of Dak Prescott throughout the season. Uh, you mentioned the Giants. I think it's going to be the Eagles that are going to be the biggest threat because it's going to be year two of Nick Sirianni. They're a wild card team, albeit it was more, you know, like the Bears last year in terms of a team that was uh, mediocrity was rewarded in a way. Um, But I think it's going to be year two with Nick Sirianni, uh, year two with Jonathan Gannon, the defensive coordinator, and also Jalen Hurts is the guy. I don't think he's going to have to compete with, um, you, you know, any backup quarterback. So I think that's going to be the case. I think that the Eagles are going to be a team that is going to contend with that. I think New York 
is maybe two years away because I think Daniel Jones is too damaged from having Pat Shermer, his rookie year, Jason Garrett, his second year, and then Jason got Freddie Kitchens, his third year, and now he's with Brian Dayball in his third year. I mean, his fourth year, the contract year. Um, I, I think he's too messed up and damaged goods at this point to really be effective. And then I don't know what the, the commanders are commanding at this point, but I'm going to go with the Eagles. I was in attendance for Jason Garrett's homecoming, if you will, this year as a Giants offensive coordinator at AT&T Stadium against the Cowboys. That was my uh, first home game experience, and that was a great time. I did go with two Giants fans, uh, John and Richard, if you're listening. Uh, you know, thanks for accompanying me to that game. It was, a, you know, for Giants fans, you guys are all right, right? So we had some fun there with uh, – being outnumbered personally, but then once he got to the stadium, you know, they were outnumbered and there were a couple other Giants fans in our section, but they had to deal with a whole lot of Cowboys fans and it was a good crowd there to watch. What was, again, a big win for the Cowboys in the NFC East, but then outside the NFC East, we all know how this story went this season. When you talk about the Eagles, though, I think they're kind of facing a similar issue that Dallas has in terms of I feel like Nick Sirianni's system is so tight in terms of all these analytics and the type of players they're looking for, where they have these tight fits that they're trying to squeeze guys into. And I just don't see it really working out with where they are. You know, I think the Cowboys kind of get themselves in that mold as well sometimes where they don't show the type of flexibility or the ability to adjust that we've been looking for. And I think that's something that's going to hurt the Eagles more because you don't have you know, the type of talent level to overcome that maybe Dallas has where you can lean on a guy like Dak Prescott to get you in the right play. You can lean on a Mika Parsons and a Dan Quinn to turn your defense around. Uh, you know, I think some of those types of pieces are missing in Philadelphia. And I'm not saying New York is there yet, the Giants, but I think they could be. And that's all I'm, uh, I'm going to say right now for the NFC East of a long way to go. Uh, you know, obviously until we get any of these guys back on the field. Yeah, and you mentioned the NFC East, and you you saw a Cowboys-Giants game on October the 10th, 2021, kind of the uh, the rematch with Dak's broken ankle and all of that. But uh, Cowboys-Giants, you also think of the great rivalry and DeMarcus Ware just sacking Eli Manning. That's always a great memory, too, when thinking about Cowboys-Giants what did you make of DeMarcus Ware getting snubbed for the Hall of Fame? I was right in line with, you know, most of Cowboys Nation's reaction. It was uh, a shame to see. It was really an unfortunate snub. And, you know, I wasn't doing any of this writing or podcasting throughout most of Ware's career. And I was kind of watching as a fan that didn't even fully understand the game as well as I do. But, you know, it's hard not to notice impact players, right? And, he was a definition of an impact player. I mean, just constantly in the backfield, constantly being double and triple team blocked. And a guy that, you know, commanded so much attention that you could you can't not make him a Hall of Fame player. But unfortunately, you know, I guess it was a lack of success as a team or just a lack of the writers that have votes, not wanting to consistently put all these Cowboys in on first ballot based on what they did last year and the culmination of just a bad process there. Uh, kind of just really hurt a guy who we know was going to get in at some point, but it's anybody's guess as to why it didn't happen this year for a guy like DeMarcus Ware, who absolutely deserved it. 
yeah, I think that he's definitely Hall of Fame worthy, and I, I'll be the bad guy. I don't think he's first ballot worthy. He never got a defensive player of the year, albeit he, if he should have, if he were to get one, it should have been in 2008 when James Harrison got it from the Pittsburgh Steelers, where had 20 sacks and he was the sack leader just as he was, I think in 2011, he was also the sack leader. Uh, can't be right because Jared Allen got really close. Eh? But it, he was a two-time sack leader. One of them was in 08. But he was never a NFL Defensive Player of the Year. I think that would have helped with everything else that he accrued in his career. Four-time first-team All-Pro, nine-time Pro Bowler, Super Bowl champion. But when you look at some of those other things, like Defensive Player of the Year, it it was not on his resume. Also, when he got to Denver, he was kind of a sidekick. You know, the Gabby Hayes to Von Miller's Roy Rogers because Von Miller led the team in sacks all three years that Ware was on the team. Von Miller got the Super Bowl MVP. I do wonder what if Ware would have got the Super Bowl MVP somehow, if that would have helped, obviously helped, but how much would it have helped to be a first ballot? But here's what Ware's got going for him that I, I think he's going to get in is you've got the Dallas fan base that was upset he didn't get in, that's going to campaign, that's going to make sure he gets in. You also had Denver Broncos fans at, who were upset that he didn't ring, get in. So you're going to have two franchises that are going to campaign and push him over the hump, kind of like, uh, uh, you know, the bend back play. Okay, that we saw the Cowboys run this season, except instead of Elliott, it's going to be DeMarcus Ware getting pushed by Broncos and Cowboys fans. I'll tell you who the real snub is. And it didn't happen. Let me just say, I mean, this isn't an actual metric you can use to put someone in the Hall of Fame or not. Like I said, I I know a lot of Giants fans and, you know, it always seemed like when we would talk about previewing those Cowboys Giants matchups that featured Ware, he was the player that Giants fans are the most concerned about. And that might just be a tell about how poor some of the offensive lines have been. You know, it's still a position that they're struggling to build up there. But, you know, it always seemed like when I talked Cowboys-Giants, it wasn't, oh, we're not worried about Romo and the offense, even though they had some great offenses, of course. We're not worried about the running game. We're not worried about the secondary, things like that. It was always, you know, man, you know, DeMarcus Ware is going to be coming for Eli Manning. And I don't know if we can stop it. So that's, that's kind of the perspective on how dominant of a player he was, at least that I got. And, the league will give him his recognition at some point. Yeah, and that's that's what I'm saying. He's going to get it. Don't worry about it. Um, I to, to me, the biggest snub was Darren Woodson, and it didn't happen on at the NFL Honors last week. It happened, uh, you know, December 31st, and, you know, around that time when they uh, announced the finalists. To me, that was the snub because Darren Woodson – is the all-time leading tackler for the Dallas Cowboys. He's a four-time first-team All-Pro, uh, a five-time Pro Bowler. And by the way, that was in 94 when he got the, his first All-Pro, his first Pro Bowl, uh, his third season in the league. So he was going to be great regardless of whether Deion Sanders got there or not, which he did in 95, about midway through the year because he was – fulfilling his contract, his baseball uh, contract at that point. 
Um, and even so, Woodson played, only missed two games from 95 through 98, which was when he was making the Pro Bowl and collecting all pros, versus Deion Sanders, who missed 15 games during that same stretch. I've got an article about it on blogintheboys.com, and you can check it out on why Darren Woodson is the biggest Hall of Fame snub that happened out of this whole process um, for the Cowboys, where I think he's going to get in. Darren Woodson is running out of time, um, and they've, they've got to get him in. But the good thing about football and the Pro Football Hall of Fame is it's not like the National Baseball Hall of Fame where it just seems like guys get – you know, lost and forgotten and their eligibility just goes away. So at least it's a different process. Yeah, we could probably do a whole other show on so many issues with the Baseball Hall of Fame, but I've been to both. Uh, they were both great experiences as far as taking them in. I definitely recommend uh, touring Canton to any football fans out there listening, of course, and Cowboys fans. Uh, there's so much history in that place and not only history, but you know, a feel for the game itself when you see the field out there and things like that. So definitely just a place where football fans can feel welcome and you meet a lot of other fans walking around, of course, there in Canton. Yeah, a lot of history in Canton, and we're about to make history with this episode of the of Hidden Yardage, which you can find on the blog and the Boys Podcast Network. We're on Apple, Spotify, Tune in and Stitcher. That's where you can find us. Let's go ahead and take a look at history before we get out of here, Sean, uh, with some Cowboys birthdays that are coming up this week. On Monday, yeah, Valentine's Day, uh, Drew Bledsoe turns 50 years old. Of course, he was the Cowboys quarterback from 05 to 06, and he kept the seat warm for Tony Romo. Drew Bledsoe turns 50 on Valentine's Day. Yeah, some of the dark days uh, for Cowboys quarterbacking right throughout that era. You know, I still talk to some fans that kind of have a better perspective than I do on what it was like before Romo got here. And obviously we all know it wasn't uh, it wasn't the brightest of times, but, you know, you still have to appreciate what Drew Bledsoe meant to this team. And happy birthday to him. Yeah, for sure. Uh, speak, another quarterback who was part of um, that downcast, uh, disconsolate time for Cowboys fans uh, between Aikman and Romo, someone who filled the void was Anthony Wright. He turns 46 <laughs> years old also on Valentine's Day. Uh, he was with the Cowboys from 2000 to 2001. Fans will remember him as taking over in the 2000 season after Aikman was knocked out. Randall Cunningham was hurt. So he started, I believe, the last two games, one against the Giants on Sunday night football at Texas Stadium, and then the Week 17 Monday nighter uh, at Nashville at the Adelphus Coliseum where they were shut out in the frigid cold by the Tennessee Titans, 31 to nothing. And so that's Anthony, Wright. He did win a consequential game though. He was part of um, Dave Campo's domination of Washington. And he pulled out the nine, seven victory <laughs> over Washington on Monday night football between two winless teams. Washington was, I think, Oh, and four Dallas was Oh, and five. It was terrible. 
in 01. But Anthony Wright, he turns 46 years old. Also on Monday, another Valentine's baby. This one, maybe you'll remember. Um, J.J. Wilcox, he turns 31 years old. He played safety for Dallas from 2013 to 2016. You know, always remember some big hits from him. You know, he was out of position and coverage a ton, but a player that could definitely uh, drop some big hits on you, kind of like Donovan Wilson on this current Cowboys roster. And he went on to uh, play for Pittsburgh and, you know, keep his name out there in the league for a couple of years. So you, know, you talk about the Cowboys kind of not often going for these small school guys, but he was one that was able to get on the field and kind of fill a role for him there defensively. At Georgia Southern, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and yeah, he was part of just that old, oh, let's, you know, just put someone back there and see what happens at safety as opposed to actually addressing the position. On Friday, John Gisick, who played guard for the Cowboys from 90 to 93, so he got two Super Bowl wins in. He turns 59 years old. Also on Friday, someone who I'm sure you're very familiar with, with the highlights, George Teague. He played with Dallas in 96. He was part of that uh, just huge blowout of the Minnesota Vikings in the NFC wild card. Uh, and then he came back in from 98 to 2001, laid a lick on Terrell Owens in, I believe, week four of 2000 when T.O. celebrated on the star. Uh, George Teague, he turns 49 years old on Friday. You have any memories of George Teague? Yeah, by the way, you mentioned addressing safety. Are we all going to get our hopes up this offseason again for Jesse Bates, who had a Super Bowl interception because he's a, probably one of the top three agents at the position there. So we can all we can all do this again, Cowboys fans. If you're not tired of clamoring for safety, that there's probably not much of a chance that the Cowboys go after. Uh, you know, Jesse Bates would be a good one to go at if you're looking for more help in the secondary. But, you know, George Teague, of course, the memory is going to be the hit on Terrell Owens in the middle of the star there and how much that is still lived, lived on in the memory of Cowboys fans. He still gets fans on Twitter, like sending him pictures of that and YouTube links and asking questions about it. Uh, so he's etched his name in Cowboys history that way. And I'll always remember that. Yeah. And he also played for the Packers in 95 and he went to college at Alabama. So he's just been around marquee programs his whole football career. Also on Friday, Brian Waters, who played right guard for Atlas, turns 45 years old. He was only here in the 2013 season. He was, he did go to camp in 1999, I believe, as a tight end, and they cut him. He was an undrafted free agent. They cut him. He goes to to Kansas City and has a great career there and then ends up with the Patriots and plays on their Super Bowl team in 2011 from Waxahachie. So just write down uh, 35E, Brian Waters turns 45 years old Friday. And then Sunday, Dave Manders, who was the center for the Dallas Cowboys in Super Bowl five, turns 82 years old. Why does any of that matter? Because this is bad officiating in a Super Bowl. When Dwayne Thomas fumbled at the two-yard line in Super Bowl five, Dave Manders came up with it. He showed the referee the ball. Yet the officials gave possession to the Baltimore Colts, who were clamoring and yelling and saying they came up with the football, even though Dave Manders handed it literally to the referee. And that's why you see... 
players just used the Ashcroft conformity experiment on refs saying, oh, hey, no, we came up with the ball. Oh, no, incomplete pass, incomplete pass. Because you might be able to trick them into one like that. But Dave Manders starts 82 on Sunday. I'll have to take a look at that. By the way, Joe Burrow and Roger Starbeck ended up on the same graphic. If you caught that during the uh, during the game yesterday, it wasn't for a good reason. It was after Burrow had been sacked, or I think the seventh time, and and it was most uh, most sacks allowed in the Super Bowl. And, Starback was up there for his performance when he lost to the Steelers. Yeah, he got sacked, I believe, in Super Bowl Mm ten was when he was sacked the the most times because that was the dirty dozen, the first wild card team to ever make the Super Bowl weren't expected to be there. And you know, and so it showed Starback sets the record for most times sacked in the Super Bowl. It was just interesting to see, you know, this up and coming quarterback, Joe Cool, who everybody's ready to take over for. Josh Allen and Pat Mahomes potentially in the AFC and right under his name on this graphic is, you know, a Cowboys icon and Roger Starbuck. All right. Before we get out of here, let me ask you this. Does Joe Burrow make it back to the Super Bowl or is he Dan Marino'd? Like next year, you're saying, or just ever? Just ever. I'd like to think he goes back. One of my least favorite things we do in football is the cliche of, saying every team that loses the Super Bowl is going to be back. Maybe not every team. You know, if you have one that has a ton of veterans or, you know, a really aging roster, and maybe we pass on saying that for a year. But almost every time a promising team loses the Super Bowl, we always say they'll be back. When truthfully, we have no idea. We don't want to have any idea because that's what makes it fun. That's what made this year's Bengals team fun. Uh, but it was so much fun that I do hope we get another Bengals team like this. I hope they keep building around him. And the city of Cincinnati continues to embrace this team and the rest of the world that had their team get knocked out and ended up picking up the Bengals as their rooting interest throughout the playoffs. Uh, I do hope for another run for Joe Cool and the Bengals here. Where can they follow you on Twitter? Sean Martin NFL. Happy to keep the conversation going over there in the comment section on bloggingtheboys.com. Great to be a new member of this team and we're going to bring it to you all off season. So. Keep following along and thanks for listening, guys. You can follow me on Twitter at the real Mark Lane. Uh, check out Thursday's uh, podcast lineup uh, when the Ocho debuts with RJ Ochoa. Also riled up with Roy White and Tom Ryle. On Friday, you got girls talking boys with Kelsey Charles and Meg Murray. Fridays, you have the Star Seminar with Danny Phantom and Rabble Rouser, which, by the way, I still call my Google Chrome. Uh, rabble browser by the way on saturday i loved it (laughs) and on saturday we got cowboys oi with mauricio rodriguez and on sunday the world's team with meg murray and paul stewart sean i think that this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship yeah i hope so man Uh, and you just mentioned mauricio i just want to give a quick hat tip to him i uh, worked with him way back at one of our older sites and he's always been alongside of me, really, really supportive of not only my work, but some of the work that my close friends do as well. So uh, he's a good one there to be following as well. We have multiple shows every single weekday for you. You know, the only other, the only option to get all this great Cowboys content is just to take us everywhere, man, right? When we want people listening in their car, plug us in your aux cord, Bluetooth, at home. We got the show for you. Uh, Hidden Yard, it's going to be a lot of fun, man. I'm glad to be doing this. Sounds good. So there it is.